Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network On Tour. I'm Hannah Forden, and we are recording live from Good Food Mercantile in San Francisco. Thank you so much to Good Food Awards for having us, and to the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making all of our on-tour coverage possible. Um, I'm really excited to chat with my new friend, Adam Cinciolo. Did I say that right? That's right. Awesome. Um, he is the founder of the Far West Cider Company, um, which is based in the San Joaquin Valley here in California. Hi, Adam. And I'm also joined by um, some more of my cider friends. Um, we have Caitlin Braun and Luke Schmucker, who are some of my favorite cider people. Do you guys want to tell us a little bit about what brings you here? Yeah, I was. I had the pleasure of being the co-chair for the cider category this year for the Good Food Awards. So that is why I am here. Um, also, just to celebrate good foods in general and drink some amazing cider with Far West folks. And this was the first year that there was a cider category, right? Or no? No, actually, it's been going on for a few years okay, now. I and so that. it's my first year being one of the co-chairs. But um, I know you guys have won in the past, and it's been a great category for I think about four or five years now. Yeah, yeah. We uh, the first year we were in production, I guess, was the first time we entered, and that would have been 2016, I think, 2016, 2017, somewhere around there. And uh, yeah, it's been a great event for us uh, as a small cider company getting started to get some exposure and have a really good time. Yeah, I guess for for us, it's more seeing what people are into in the cider category and then in the broader sense in the food and beverage world is the, the primary reason why I'm here hanging out with everyone. Um, for, for me to come over and see things like Far West and talk to someone that is not only making cider but also has an orchard where they're growing apples and talking to them about what they're facing is something that's really interesting to, to us as a company and me personally. So it's always exciting to come here and see what it's all about. Awesome. Well, since we have um, we have East Coast Cider from Shaxbury, we have West Coast Cider from the Far West. Um, Adam, why don't you start by talking about what makes cider from the San Joaquin Valley, the cider that you make, special? So what kind of apples are you using? How do you approach um, developing the palate of Far West? Yeah, we are a uh, <clears throat> we're a cidery that, that it started off as a farm. So we're actually a hundred year old family farm out between Stockton and Modesto in San Joaquin County. And uh, the apples that we grow, uh, we are we are predominantly a commercial apple grower. So we grow apples that are meant for the the shelves at Safeway and Whole Foods and and all of the others. Uh, large production, a large proportion of what we grow is actually organic apples. Um, and we started this business actually uh, with the assistance of the USDA uh, as a value-added producer. Uh, so the USDA is interested in helping small farms diversify their offering, and uh, that is what we're doing here. We are turning a commodity product into something that has more value and has a brand and has potentially uh, a diversifying effect on a historic farm. Um, first generation from your family of farmers to make cider. Oh yeah, cider. This is the first time we started making cider about four years ago. We've been growing apples about 30 years. Prior to that, it was almonds and grapes. Um, so yeah, this is this is brand new for us uh, in a manner of speaking. Uh, there is not a humongous cider tradition in California, as maybe there is on the East Coast, uh, but we are uh, doing the best that we can to make something that's uh, unique to our region and having a good time with it. And so just question for me as a fellow cider person 
What, what do you think is exciting about the ciders that you guys are producing? I think that the ciders you guys are producing are great. What do you, what do you think stands out and what should California cider be? I, I think uh, California cider is really interesting. Uh, it's, we've got a variety of microclimates in California. We've got coastal regions and where we're growing things, it's hot and flat. Uh, we kind of call it the Kansas of California. Uh, so we get, where, where we grow our specific fruit, we get extremely high sugar levels. Um, we grow, we use apples uh, quite specifically in order to make up for the acid side. Um, and uh, we are, we're, we're working on pretty much a modern uh, growing environment, and so we're able to um, move through varieties fairly quickly. We do a lot of grafting back and forth to find things that we want to do and to match the market for the fresh market. Uh, this, this program at Far West was pretty much started in order to make use of fruit that maybe was a little bit lopsided, maybe was a little bit sunburnt, um, still totally integral and tastes fantastic. Uh, but that was a really low revenue stream for our farm, and uh, it actually turns out working great in cider. So for us, uh, specifically on our farm, uh, it's, it's been a really nice thing to diversify our, our offering. Yeah. In terms of what California cider should be uh, uh, generally, I, I, I don't think I'm qualified to speak on that, but. <laughs> um, I'm curious how um, shifting to add cider to your business um, changed the way that you think about growing apples. Like you were saying that, you know, growing cider or making cider is kind of allowing you to utilize those ugly apples. Um, right. But does it, what else has it changed? Are you um, considering like bringing new varietals into your farm? Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, we kind of we kind of feel like now ugly apples are beautiful apples as we get to use them uh, where where we want to use them, and uh, we have had the opportunity to graft over about three acres to um, a lot of kind of heritage varieties, uh, some kind of uh, European, uh, British, and French specific varieties. Uh, we've just started pressing that because we grafted it about two years ago, uh, and we should have some interesting stuff out of that. You know, more tannic, more interesting uh, cider fruit probably in the next six, eight months. Yeah, fun stuff. And Caitlin, in the cider category itself, what are some of the things that you see progressing or as you were going through this process? What stood out to you? Well, so one of the things about this competition and a lot of competitions like this is we get to see ciders from all across the country. And so we get to see East Coast versus West Coast versus Midwest versus the South. and. It's great because not everybody's using the same apple varieties, not everybody's using the same process, but in this competition specifically, in these awards, everyone has kind of the same ethos, which I think is super important. And it was fun to watch the judges, and they are, they're not tasting dry against dry, they're tasting dry against a bunch of different styles of cider. So I think it makes the category really exciting. Um, we were seeing more and more, uh, you know, your natural ferment or wild fermented ciders this year, which I think was a new addition um, and an increase in the category this year. Some great fruited ciders as well, some cool like spice additions. So a pretty big range this year, which was exciting to see. That's what I was always trying to figure out. Like for us as an example, when we were submitting cider and we submitted dry, uh, our canned dry cider and uh, lost and found, which is still just apples, but it's a wild foraged apple cider bottle condition, which used from the next vintage. Was it the same this year too, where both of those are in the same category, or were those separated out? 
They're in the same category. So when we organize everything though, we're trying to put things that are similar styles and similar maybe flavor profiles or similar like sweetness levels together so that when you're tasting through, you're not getting maybe a habanero cider first and then going back to a dry cider. So we do a really good job, I think, of making sure that the, the tasting panel that they have for that specific round yeah. kind of goes together and makes sense. But everything in the end is kind of all judging against each other. Yeah, and like thinking about all the things that go back into cider, are you, Adam, utilizing other fruit from your farm that you're putting into cider as well? Yeah, we, uh, we happen to grow cherries, um, and so we, we do make a, uh, I guess you call it a rosé cider, uh, and yeah, we, we try and utilize everything that we grow on the farm. Uh, we've made, we grow some pluots, we've made a sour plum pluot cider, which has been pretty interesting too. Uh, fruited ciders are a lot of fun for us because we have access to so many other growers who are right in our area uh, who are producing all kinds of crazy stuff. We've got a huge watermelon guy next to us still trying to figure out how to use that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, lot, lots of interesting stuff uh, happening in the ag world in the Central Valley that we can make use of. So, yeah. so um, you've won two awards? No, more than that. Uh, I think we've got four. I think we've got four. We have four. <laughs> uh, everything but this one. So, yeah, four. Um, should we taste some of your award-winning cider and you can tell us a little bit more about your specific products? I'd be happy to do that. Um, do you want to try them all? Let's try them all. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, okay. So what should we start with? Let's start with the proper dry, which is uh, crimson gold crab apples, Granny Smith, Gold Rush, and Pink Lady apples fermented dry and aged for six months. Awesome. Um, and, and while you're pouring, um, I'm always interested to hear about um, fermentation practices. So um, what do you do? Yeah. We, uh, we use a champagne yeast predominantly for most of our cider. We ferment it uh, pretty cool, about 50 degrees. And uh, we then age that base after three weeks of fermentation for about six months in bulk. Uh, letting it drop clear, uh, trying to prevent malolactic fermentation where we can, and uh, and then packaging it. This is pretty much an unfiltered cider. Um, we we probably don't filter 90% of it before packaging, and it's just real clean and crisp and fun. Just this was very nice popular ritzy. yesterday. Yeah, good. Yeah, we poured it last night at the event, which was fun. Yeah, this is delicious. It's snappy and just apples. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's try something else. Luke, can you taste the difference between East and West Coast cider? I'm curious because you drink a lot of East Coast cider. I think for me, so much of it is producer dependent, um, especially thinking about fermentation practices and you know whether people are using native yeast and everyone's got their own cellar quality uh, for me there's the thing that stands out more uh, than a regional style is a producer specific style because everyone's putting their own personal stamp on it that makes sense this is a uh, orchard blend number one uh, we're we're extremely creative with our cider names because uh, it's a blend of fruit from our orchard and the first cider that we ever made um, this is, uh, this is essentially proper dry, which we just had, but there's no crab apples in it, so there's less acidity. 
there is a touch of cane sugar in it, which brings up the uh, uh, residual sugar to about two percent. Um, and yeah, it's the, it's the first thing we made. It was it was immediately pretty popular in a 500 ml bottle and fits most occasions pretty well. Yeah, it's got a bit more body to it. I yeah. really do enjoy much this more one. body. Yeah. You're talking about different styles like East Coast versus West Coast, and it, you know you're talking about producer specific. I do when I, I travel around a lot and visit a lot of different cideries. You do tend to see some more trends. You see more also um, specific apples being used because like down here. Way more Gravenstein being yeah. used, and within I would say, like, in the Northeast or up north in the Pacific Northwest, where I live, you are getting a lot more fruit ciders and a lot more just experimentation in general with different ingredients happening. So, yeah. when you start traveling around region by region, it's really amazing to see what has come to the forefront for that region, and they kind of have a stamp on it sometimes. Yeah, our our growing environment is is probably fairly similar to uh, kind of the Wenatchee area. Uh, it doesn't get quite as cold, but it, it certainly gets just as hot. And uh, so, Gravensteins don't do great. Uh, we've had a good luck, a lot of good luck with Gold Rush apples uh, being a high acid, high sugar kind of interesting aromatic compound yeah. uh, uh, going into a lot of our fruit. That's probably most of what we do is probably about thirty percent Gold Rush, and that's pretty much all we grow it for right now is for this. Um, but if we had a designated apple at the moment, that's probably the one. Yeah. And so where can people get your cider? Is it distributed widely, or how do people get their hands on it? Yeah, it feels wide for us, but it's uh, at, the, at the moment, we kind of go Napa to Santa Cruz uh, from the coast out to Livermore. Uh, so it's, it's a big diamond. Um, we, ship, uh, we ship direct to some retailers throughout Southern California, and that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, we do a, a reasonable business in kegs, but most of our stuff is in package. And can people come visit you? They can certainly visit us uh, at our tasting room in the city of Richmond on the waterfront, uh, or they can find us at uh, two different Bay Area farmers markets, three, three now, uh, city of Marin on Sundays, uh, San Francisco on Sundays, and Jack London Square on Sundays. Okay, one last question for you. So I know you share your, your tasting room is in a compound with some wineries, is that right? Yeah, we, uh, we actually produce inside of a wine complex right. of sorts. Yeah, we share space with two other wineries. I'm curious um, what sort of crossover you see between your customers, because I think I'm, I'm always like asking the question, like, who are cider drinkers? Like, yeah, not a lot. <laughs> not a lot, really? <laughs> not a lot. Uh, some. Uh, our, our, uh, we, we, we have found that some of the wine customers coming in are really just looking for wine, uh, and we are drawing in like a whole different batch of people for cider, which is cool for both because there is some crossover, uh, but um, but they're very independent groups, which is interesting. In that is space. interesting. Yeah. yeah, you would think that... Um, there is some. I mean, people are happy to try everything. Right. Uh, but people coming in for wine are generally looking for wine, in my experience. Uh, would you ever consider doing a collaboration? I know Shaxbury does a lot of collaborations yeah, with we wine Yeah, we have talked about it. Makers. We have not yet done it. Um, but, yeah, we have talked about it. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, we have to wrap up because we're on a tight schedule. Um, but I want to thank Adam so much for chatting with us. And um, if you're in California, if you're in the Bay Area, make sure to find some Far West cider. Um, and thank you so much to my special co-host, Luke Schmucker from Shaxbury and thank Caitlin Brown, lovely cider expert. Um, this is Heritage Radio Network on tour at the Good Food Mercantile in San Francisco. Um, thank you so much to Good Food for having us and to the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. We'll be back with more.